Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. So welcome to Cobblestone. We really insist on this idea that we think you are the ministers, which is why we're constantly, hey, let's pray for one another. Hey, let's testify to one another. Hey, let's actually be the body together. Anyone ever been a part of a church where they actually make you talk more than they talk? Anybody you're like, I'm really not sure if I want to be at this church, <laughs> right? But that, I want to be a part of a church that makes me, and sometimes I don't want to, and I'll, I'll talk for me, right? I grew up in a church, they didn't make me do this stuff. No one taught me how to pray for anybody. Nobody taught me how to share my faith. Nobody told me that I should testify. It was just kind of like, get in, you open the Bible, you hear your sermon, and it was good. God did work there. But I want to be a church, and we're trying to be a church where we're like, okay, it might make me uncomfortable to have to talk to another human being. That's me. I feel uncomfortable sometimes talking to other people because I'm awkward. But God loves to show off his glory through weak individuals that are willing to take that step of faith. And testimonies are a very easy entry point to be like, hey, I watched God do a thing this week. It grows faith in me when I hear your testimonies. So these little black cards, they're on these tables here uh, with uh, permanent markers, and there's these boards, and we just encourage you, if you have God do a thing, testify. Write it down, put it up there. We want to hear it. Maybe you're like, I don't want it for everybody to see. Email me your testimonies, because some weeks you ever feel like God's not doing a lot, but God's doing a lot. And if you could hear what Mark Fitzgerald just told me about a healing this week from a man in a wheelchair, you'd be like, I want to pray for healing for people. Why? Because the testimony made me go, well, I could do that. And if God's doing it there, he could do it here. And so please, like, I'm not trying to once again make you feel uncomfortable for uncomfortable sake. I've done that in my life, but that ain't this. There's, some, there's a power in testimony. There's a power in saying, I watch Jesus do a thing that makes me go, I think he can do it again. And so we're going to open up the Bible today to 2 Timothy 3. No, just kidding. Yep. Not kidding. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. It's that verse right there. We're going to only be there, maybe a couple other places. But you have 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and this is what we do here. We read the Bible every week together in the reading plan. Well, some of us do. We're not under any false pretenses that everybody's doing that. And then one, one of us, one of the elders, gets up and preaches out of that. Now, last week we had communion. We missed the whole book of 1 Timothy, which has some doozies in it. And then we're in the book of 2 Timothy. And so what you have, you have the Apostle Paul, the man of God, and he is writing a letter to young Timothy. So if you're young in this room, you should read 1 and 2 Timothy. If you're into church leadership, you should read 1 and 2 Timothy. If you're into godliness that's just everyday normal life, you should read 1 and 2 Timothy. But then there's these moments that there's these powerful verses. And I, if, if anything comes about today, I dare, you, I dare you to memorize this verse. Because what's under attack right now in our culture and by Satan and by the world and even a little bit by your own doubt is this verse. And so 2 Timothy 3 is going to declare a thing about the book. It's going to tell us what it is, what it is really, because it's so easy to be like, well, it's pages and it's got numbers and it's a little confusing right around Leviticus, uh, but what is it? Why do we like it? Why do we treasure it? Why is it called the word of God? And what he's going to yell to young Timothy, he yells a lot of things, Paul does. Like he's like, be ready to preach in season and out of season. He tells him like, you should not re like, rebuke an older man, but gently love him. I mean, there's a lot of really practical stuff, but this is foundation. This is foundational. And so I'm gonna read it. And then we're going to pray, and then we're going to break it down, and we're going to look at the Word of God today. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Could you memorize that, you think? I have rap songs memorized from when I was 17. I think I can memorize this, okay? So 
So let's pray, and then we'll break it down. Father, we just stop and invite the Holy Spirit to inflame our hearts to love your word, which you spoke, to stir us up to love Jesus Christ, to be people that look like Jesus and not like the earth. Lord, I pray in that, that scripture right there, that your word would burn in our bones, that it would be like honey on our lips, that truly today, cobblestone would be a place taught by the word and led by the spirit. Help us. We need help. In Jesus' name, amen. All scripture is God breathed. So you have this idea that all the book, so from the front to the back. Now, anybody in here read the whole thing yet? Okay, great. Anybody read it more than once? Great, you're a nerd. I'm just kidding. You should do that the rest of your life, but why? And it's not even just like the parts you like. What I love about scripture is it challenges me in all the places that I don't want it to challenge me about being humble. I'm like, I don't want to be humble. I want to be strong and I want to know the right answer. But he's like, but I'm going to show my power off in your weakness. So then it's, you see how scripture challenges us on every level. And so even the parts you, like when we got to 1 Timothy 3, how many women read 1 Timothy 3 last week and were like, what the crap? Right? And if you're like, I don't know, you should go read it. It's a good one. I mean, it says things like, women, you should be silent in the church. Anybody want to talk about it? It even says women will be saved through childbirth. What the heck does that mean? I thought Jesus saved us, right? So and you all have the same questions when you read it? It forces me to ask questions. It forces me to go, all right, is my life under the authority of what God spoke or is it not? Because there's stuff that I don't like. And I'm not saying I, don't, I love the word. I'm saying my flesh hates it. Because it, it makes me go, well, now I can't do me. And I can't do what I want. Because really, the baseline of Christianity is I came face to face with Jesus Christ, and I bowed. And I went, okay, you get what you want. I'm your follower, not the other way around. And what Scripture just told us is that all Scripture is God-breathed. So I want you to try something. Try to talk without breathing. Just say any word to the person next. Well, don't breathe on them. But try to speak without breathing. Go. Say, good morning. Oh, all right. That's what it'll sound like. You have to breathe. Go. Go ahead. Everyone's like, this is 9 a.m. I don't have time for your shenanigans. The whole point is, in the beginning, God. Genesis 1, yeah? And when God created all things, what did he do? He spoke. He breathed life into the man. And this is what the Lord is declaring by intention, sovereignly willed that Paul would pen this to Timothy and go, Timothy, they're fighting about genealogies. They're fighting about angels. They're fighting about if their Jewish dad is more Jewish than their Jewish dad, my dad can beat you up. That's what they're fighting about. And he goes, but remember this, all scripture is breathed out by God. And when God breathes out a thing, it's different than when me and you breathe out a thing, yeah? Right? So I, my stuff, like, our stuff's more like, you ever breathed on a window? We could breathe on this window right now and draw a little smiley face. We're like, wash me. <laughs> that it would last until it faded. But when God says a thing, it's forever. And it keeps moving and it keeps doing and it keeps changing and it keeps challenging. So God spoke this roughly 1,987 years ago to Paul to pen that when we read it, though, because it's God's breath, I read it, and I'm changed, and I'm challenged because God's voice, the word says, breaks the cedars, shakes the mountains. God's words formed all that is. He didn't have to, like, form it. He just had to say it. So right now, God, by the power of his voice, could just be like, don't be, and you would not be. He could be like, breath out of them. There goes Andrew. That's the power of the voice of God. And what's starting to happen in our culture is they don't, the devil does not want you to believe that this is the word of God. And in fact, in your own brain, you're like, it just feels like a normal book and like normal guys wrote it. And like, sometimes it's really confusing and I don't like that stuff about the women's stuff. So I'm just gonna rip that part out. Um, but I'm like, no, 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 no. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's useful for something, yeah? 
It means it's good for something. You can use it for tasks. And the very first one is teaching. Now, anybody good at school in this room? Anybody love school? Are you the, where's the weirdos in the room? You're not a weird. My wife's one of those. Yeah, she loved school, man. A plus is all the way and always did the extra credit. I got D's and I got a degree. What? So that's me, right? But when I read that, I'm like, teaching, I don't want to, you know, teaching seems hard. But literally, picture like a young kid interacting. My six-year-old Grace is learning how to read. She's being taught something. And it's beautiful to watch her start to understand how words go together and the ta-ta-ta sound and teapot, dad. And I'm like, yeah, right? This is what God wants to do with the word. And some of you, in, in your job, you're smart, you're grown up, you're mature, but in the spiritual things, you're like my six-year-old. And that's okay because he gave us a book that'll help grow us up, that'll teach me how to pray, that'll teach me how to, how to teach. I, I learned everything I know about Jesus because of this book. Someone told me about Jesus, and then I, I went, I want to know everything about him. And I, the first year that I got saved, when I was 17, I read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Can we keep going? Over and over and over again. I loved everything about Jesus. I was like, tell me what he was like. How did he treat people? You know why I know that stuff? Because the book. And I wouldn't know it if I didn't have it. So how do I know how Jesus treated women? Because the book tells me. How does Jesus think about sinners and the lowly and the poor? Well, the book tells me. And I'm so excited because guess what you have in your hands right now? The very word of God. And I know that sounds like basic. It's everything. It's everything. You know what the, every person in Chinese church doesn't have? One of these. And you know what they love? Just give them one page of this, and they're like, they just freak out, man. And it's usually smuggled, and then it gets burned, and they're like, memorize it as fast as possible. But you give an American Christian a Bible, and they go, I figured that out. I don't need that. What's our deal? is that I think Satan's convinced us, along with American culture, that we were better off figured out on our own. But think about the process to get this book. Almighty God of heaven and earth speaks and all creation is formed. Adam and Eve, they sin and plunge the world into darkness. A little corruption starts to happen. Tower of Babel, all the stuff in the stories of the Bible start to pan out. Somewhere along the way, a man named Moses begins to meet with God. And he meets with God in this tent of meeting, and they begin to meet face to face like a friend. And God then says to Moses, write this down so that the people will remember what I've done. And they will remember what I'm teaching. And so what does Moses do? He writes it down. Your five, first five books of the Bible, I believe, were written down by Moses, who is called a friend of God. Why? So we'll remember the God who created the God who had to deal with the sin of the very first humans, the God that set the law, the God that redeemed his people out of Exodus. God did these things. And then you begin to see God starts to move in different ways, and he comes to Abraham, and he's making covenants, which are huge, big contracts with God. And he's like, write this down. The prophets come, and God says to them, I'm going to tell you a thing. You're going to tell the people, write it down so they don't forget King David writes down these songs to God, which is the book of Psalms, which are just praises to God, which are rooted in God's character, God's history with his people, God's covenants. Then you have these Jeremiah, the big, the big prophets, and not the minor ones, the major ones. And they start prophesying that there's going to be a man who's going to carry the kingdom of God into forever, and he's going to forgive the sins of all the people. Sounds like a guy we know. And he's like, write this down. And then you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they start tracking and tracing Jesus' lineage to all those promises, that he's the root of David, that he's related to Abraham's seed. Like they, and they go, it's him. Write it down. And along the way, they're going, we didn't write this down because we wanted to. We wrote this down because God told us to. Because men carried along by the Spirit spoke and wrote 
as the Spirit led and gave them utterance. Like, this is the Bible. It is not just a book. It is the Word of God. And I know, like, hey, I love led by the Spirit. I'm a pretty ghosty guy these days. Pentecostal joke. I, we can, you cannot cut off taught by the Word. You can't go deep enough into the Word. It is a deep well. I have read it probably eight times through in my life, and by the time I'm dead, I hope it's another 20. I look at it every day. Some days, it's dry. Anybody? Can we be, are we, oh, right, no, it's God's book, I can't say, it, it's hard sometimes, yeah? And some days I wake up and I'm like, God, I've read that before and it didn't do anything, I don't want to read it anymore. But other days, it's, it is like honey. And I weep because I'm like, God, thank you for your word. And, and so the apostles, they see Jesus float up to heaven and then the Holy Spirit comes and they begin to pastor churches. They begin to do what I'm trying to do here, and they begin to write letters to guys like Timothy and go, hold this dear. This is scripture. This isn't a man-made idea. We wrote it down because God told us to write it down so that future generations would know what Jesus is like. Future generations would know how to run the church. Future generations would know what the hope we have. That's why the book of Revelation, we know the end, y'all. We know what's coming. So when I have to freak out now because things go bad, I go, but I know what's coming. That's the Bible being used. So the Bible gets penned, and the last apostle dies, and everyone's like, well, what's scripture? And everyone seems to think that a group of dudes got together at some council and went, this will be the Bible. They're still fighting about that today. Ask a Catholic what's in the Bible. It ain't your Bible. And we seem to think that it was a man's idea. It was not. Almighty God, Genesis 1 God, almighty, omnipresent, all the omnis God intentioned that his people would write down and remember what he's done. Because God's word is not like your and I's words. It has the power to tear down strongholds. It has the power. It's like a scout. It'll cut you, man. And it will divide bone and marrow. It will go to the soul of a man and do spiritual work. If you wield it, not like a textbook, not like the world does, and not like the religious do, but like Jesus did. So I'll ask a question. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, yes? That was an amen, I agree. Fully God, fully man, hypostasis, you're like, what? Incarnate, God in the flesh, goes into the desert to be tempted because the Holy Spirit led him there. And the devil begins to say things to him. What does the incarnate word of God use to fight against Satan? The word? Why would God on high, God in the flesh, the son of God, use that? Why wouldn't he just be like, I'm the son of God? He didn't, right? He used the weapon that God has given his people. He used the very thing that we get to use. He used the very thing that he'd been given as a young boy, the Old Testament scriptures, and now we have the New Testament scriptures and the Old Testament scriptures, and yet we let them get dusty. And it's useful for teaching. So if you feel weak in your faith, I can probably trace it back to you got tired or didn't know how to study scripture. And not knowing how is, I understand not knowing how sometimes. Not knowing how, we'll teach you how. This is, that's my job, to equip you to study the scriptures. But teaching is one of the main uses of scripture. But it's also, which is a fun word, isn't it? Rebuking. Rebuking is one of those things that we don't understand very much. Rebuke's like a, stop it. Anybody ever been stopped it? And you're like, yeah, I had a mom. <laughs> like, I always joke, because like my grandmother and my grandparents aren't here, but my grandma, when she would rebuke me, would take a big wooden kitchen spoon, smack me square in the forehead. Just, ah, you wouldn't even know when it was coming. That's a rebuke. Like, watch your mouth, watch your tone, little grandson. Yeah? And then grandpa would actually use his belt. As soon as you heard that noise of like, you're like, it's coming. Rebuke is that. It's, it's discipline. It's, oh, you're going this way, but you should 
you should be going that way. It's got a tone of like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna pull you back pretty hard. And so when it talks about the Bible being useful for rebuking, sometimes I read this and I'm like, ooh, and I feel rebuked. Anyone ever felt that moment? Where I go into a meeting and I go in pretty strong because I'm pretty mouthy and I get a little prideful, and then I get to Scripture and it says that even though Jesus had the ability to go, I'm equal with God, he didn't. He lowered himself and took the form of a servant. And I can feel the Spirit of God say, why didn't you serve in that meeting? You know what that was? A rebuke. When I read Ephesians 5, and it says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I just spent the day, like in my head, I wouldn't say this out loud, demanding that Anna serve me. You know what I didn't do? What scripture told me to do. And I feel God rebuke me and go, you need to die for her. That's the role of the word of God. It's going, here's your little life. And here's God. When they meet, who wins? Who wins? And sometimes what we'll do is we'll go, well, I know he's going to win, so I'm going to go around. Or I'm going to lay it down. Or I re- what I really want is what I really want, so I'm going to make this mean what I want. That's not how this works. And so we have an opportunity to be taught, to be rebuked, to be corrected. Correcting is a gentler form of rebuking. I'm corrected all the time. Anybody in here got this all figured out? Anybody got the first five books of the Bible memorized? Go, in Hebrew. Right? And so young Hebrew boys, young Israelites, they would have, though. And that's how you got, you got selected for rabbi school. You would memorize the book. And then if you were good at it, you could be a rabbi. And if you weren't good at it, guess what your job was? Fishermen, random jobs around the town. Guess who all of Jesus' disciples were? Fishermen. I guess they weren't too good at memorizing. So I say that because guess what God can use? You and me. The people that might not be type A. The people that might sometimes need corrected. I need corrected every day of my life. Did you hear me? Some of you are like, what? I need corrected every day of my life. Men and women of God love correction. We should love it. Because pride is not a fruit of the Spirit. Humility is. And if we're walking with God, I assume when I open this every day and every morning, that at some point it's going to challenge me and I'm going to have to correct what I'm doing to come in line with what God wants me to do. So even little things, when God says pray without ceasing, that's a hard command, yeah? Because somewhere right around the time of lunchtime, I'm like, burrito loco. And I'm like, thank God, but then I stop and I just, I kind of forget that he's there and I'm like, all right, I'm supposed to be praying without ceasing. It corrects me. It calls me to be like, man, God, you are good. Thank you for these people around this table. All the scriptures are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and then training in righteousness. Now, training, the word there is actually just like an Olympic athlete. Now, if you, anybody ever been, I'll call you all athletes. How about that? At one point in time, some of you have jogged. Some of you have lifted weights. Some of you have Zumba'd. Some of you Peloton. I don't care what it is, but you actually had to commit to the training. You actually had to make a plan and go, I'm going to be there this day, this day, this day, this day, at this time, and this time, and this time. And then you saw gains. Same thing with the word. When it says training in righteousness, most of us, there's this, this moment Jesus saved you. And you probably can remember where you were, or some of you were like, I was just born into this life. That's fine. I don't care. Whatever it is, there's a moment you can probably think, Jesus made me righteous. I was 17 on an island in Tennessee and God took my sin from me and I felt my soul and my spirit regenerate and I did not want those things anymore. I was righteous. What I've also learned is there is a growing in righteousness. There's a, I am righteous positionally. I am in Christ. I'm seated in heavenly places. I am the righteousness of God. It's what I am. 
But then there's these days where I'm like, you should not be thinking that thought, Andrew David Holsworth. And God's like, yeah, we're going to make you more righteous in your thoughts today. And then there's that moment where like, you should not have used that tone, Andrew. And God's like, we're going to make you more righteous in how you use your mouth and your tongue. And then there's this moment where it's just, this is the extended growing sanctification and righteousness that only comes about when you're using the scalpel of the word to cut off the fat. It's precision. It's, okay, your heart's not a prayerful heart. Let's cut off the part that makes you self-reliant. Oh, your heart's not loving towards your spouse. Let's cut off the part that's selfish and prideful. Like, this is the work of God happens when the people of God ingest this book. And so training in righteousness, and it even tells us why. You're like, what do you mean why? So that, do you see that in your scripture? So it says, all scriptures breathed out by God, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that, this is what it's to produce. This is why all the correcting, all the training, all the teaching, all the stuff that sometimes feels a little hard, and we don't like it sometimes, he goes, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Are you a servant of God? You can say yes, and that's not pride. I see servant of God, God's servants. God's servants all over this room, yeah? And what scripture does is it makes them thoroughly equipped, uber equipped. It adds on to their life godliness and righteousness and prayer and the power of the Spirit and an understanding of spiritual things so that when they go out, they're not doing a couple good works, they're doing, what was it say? Every good work. Now, here's the reality. I go through my week and I miss some good works every week. I'm pretty sure. Because sometimes I just want to pump gas and I don't want to talk to the guy next to me. Right? Sometimes I'm at Kroger and I see... Suzanne, down the frozen aisle, and I keep going, all right? You know that moment where you're like, I just don't want to do the work. And that doesn't mean God's never, but he's preparing me so that every moment he puts me in, I can do the work of God there. That's God's plan for you, to thoroughly equip you so that if someone's like, can you pray healing for me, you'll know how. God's plan for you is if you meet a non-Christian, you'll know how to share the hope that you have. God's plan for you is every good work. Think of everything good that you can think of. Every good work. Make a pot meal, potluck, you are gonna do it. I don't know if that's true, but I picture this beautiful reality that we are well-formed soldiers that aren't afraid of where God will put us. If he sends you as a missionary, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If he called you, if I was like, hey, you, you're going to come preach, you'd be like, every good work, right? I'm not doing that, so chill. Every good work. This is what the word of God does. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful. So can I show you how that works out? I don't even think I put this on the screen. One of my favorite scriptures is Revelation 21. If you have a Bible, you should open it. It's not going to be on the screens. I want to read to you it. I want to read it to you. And I want to show you how this works, how this all scripture being breathed out works. Revelation 21. It's not in the slides, Ben. I apologize. So starting in verse 1 of Revelation 21. It makes me cry because it's like, this is it. This is where we're going. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
And also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And I could keep reading. So all scripture is breathed out by God. So what I get to do with that verse is I get to go, God, you breathed that out to John when he saw that. And he, you hear him say it? Write this down. Write this down, John. Write down what you're seeing because this is the end and this is what's coming. So guess what? Right now, Oxford, Ohio, 2022, things aren't that yet, right? All things are not made new, but what does God want to do? He wants to make everything new. And that's what the kingdom of God does. Makes new hearts, new desires, new people that now bring that reality to bear. So now I have a job. How do I join God right here, right now, Andrew Holsworth, in bringing this newness to this moment? Well, it should do a couple things. Anybody else filled with hope that there's not going to be any more crying or pain or tears and all that's going to get stripped away? It's like God's going to take what's broken and he's going to go make it all new. And not only is it going to be like, yeah, God, I trust him. I know he's there. It's going to be God's here with us. God's, we're walking with him. I see him. I love him. Yeah? I will be their God. They will be my people. Behold, I'm making all things new. So if all scripture is breathed out, why did God put that in the Bible? So we wouldn't freak out when everything hits the fan now. You know the end, y'all. You hear me? That's the end. That's what's coming. That's our hope. That's our future. That's what we're bought into. That's what we're here in this room celebrating. That regardless of what happens to me, Scripture just declared over my life that God's going to make all things new and restore all of creation. And I don't have to freak when it doesn't happen right now. But it also is that invitation. How can I do that with you, God? And I could go all through Scripture, man. I'm not afraid of any Scripture anymore. You, I'll even go, I'll go... I'll go a little ghosty, and then I'll go a little wordy, all right? You know why I'm not afraid of prophecy anymore? Because the Bible. Because the Bible tells me that I should earnestly desire it, and that I should also test it, and that it's a good gift that'll build up the body. So therefore, if it's done rightly in a biblical way, it's, we should all be like, come on, prophecy, right? And then, you know, I'm not afraid of the verse we already talked about, women be silent, because if you actually study it, I think you get to this beautiful expression that men and women are different and that our culture desperately needs to hear that men and women are different and that there's roles men should be doing and there's roles women should be doing and it doesn't make anybody less. Now, if we talked about it, you probably, some of you would be like, I don't like that. There's days I don't like it. And then there's moments like, like I talked about already, Ephesians 5 challenges me every week. What we're doing is we are walking in a, under an authority. So who's your authority? Now, anybody like into stocks or financial stuff? Who's the person you listen to for that stuff? I don't even know what stocks are. I don't know what So I do. I'm just kidding. I want to tell one. Uh, ADD kicked in. Okay. When we talk about authority, everybody in here has people that you go to for different things that they are masters that have authority over. So finances is one of them. Some of you, like when things get hard in marriage, maybe you go to mom and dad, maybe you go to marriage counseling. They're an authority over your life. But there is a greater authority that God holds over the people of God. Yeah? So when we talk about this book, is it your authority? Does it get to tell you what to do? And if not, you, you have a heart check to do because God gave it to us that it might teach us, correct us, rebuke us, form us, and train us to be workers that don't have to be ashamed but rightly handle the word of truth. And we'll talk about that in a second. So what's your authority? Because when I run into culture these days and I ask them about hard stuff, guys, this is like uh, gay marriage and what is a man and what is a woman, I get a lot of opinions. Well, scientists tell us that this chromosome, and I'm like, no, 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 what's the book say? And that makes some Christians today not like me, but I'm like, that's literally what we are. We're Christians who have submitted to the Son of God, who gave us a book by the intention of the will of God that we might live under it. So here's the thing. 
I used to not like the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, but you know why I do? Because the book tells me to. You know why I go and serve the poor with my wife on Fridays? Because the book tells me to. Do you know why I'm up here doing what I'm doing and giving my life to what I'm giving it to? Because the book tells me that's life. And you can go and find a thousand theologians right now that'll use this book to tell you whatever you want it to mean. But it means something. And God wrote it down and spoke a lot of different ways and said, write this down. What's your authority? What's your actual authority? What actually bears weight in how you think and how you make decisions? And I know it doesn't say, well, move to Albuquerque, Fred. I know it doesn't say that, but it tells you that everywhere you go, you should be the aroma of Christ. So if going to Albuquerque doesn't spread the aroma, don't go there. That's authority. That's God gets to tell me, God has this man. Does God have that man? Does God have that woman? And I can go, I'll point at all of you. Are you a servant of God or are you a servant of you that's taken his word and co-opted it for your own use? There's tons of people that do that, yeah? You've all seen preachers that use the Bible just to make money, yeah? I don't know why I'm saying yeah, but I am. You've seen that, yeah? What is that? What is that? Stop that. I don't know what that is. Okay. So when I think about this idea of all scriptures, God breathed, I'm like, yeah, well, then I want it to be my authority. I want it to be the reason I do what I do. And so many of us, we don't know what we're doing what we want to, we're doing what we want to do. And then every once in a while, we'll go to the Bible to make us feel good about what we want to do. And that feels like a perversion if I've ever seen one. When young couples come to us, so I'll give you an example. The very first question we usually ask them is, number one, do you know Jesus? It's a good question, yeah? Yeah. <sighs> do you know Jesus? And then it's a harder question for them to answer because usually they get a little squirmy. Are you living together? And that is a question you would think as if they're, called, they're calling themselves a Christian should be really answered to be like, no. You know what the most common answer is these days? Yes, because it's easy. Yeah, because we didn't have enough money. And then what I have to lovingly do is go, okay, do you want to be under God's authority and do it God's way, or do you want to do it yours? And we've seen couples do it both, all right? Some couples will be like, we want to do it God's. And I'll be like, well, I got, you're going to move out. You can come live in my basement if you want to. We'll provide righteousness for you, or you can do it your way and sprinkle some Bible on it later at the wedding with 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, but you can choose right now what you want to do. Because the Bible says, keep the marriage bed pure. The Bible says, don't even have a hint of ungodliness. The Bible says that the people of God should be holy like God is holy. So I don't know what you want to do with that co cohabiting couple. I don't hate you. I'll still counsel you. I'll probably even still do your wedding. But do you want me to challenge you with the word? Or you just want to go do what you want to do? That's real life, yeah? That's real life, isn't it? That's, yeah? That's what the word of God does. That's correcting and a little rebuking because that's what we're coming up against. God has said a thing and my heart runs into it and goes, but my heart wants what my heart wants. And God's going, well, my word's confronting that. Will you let me give you a new heart? It happens every day of my life. And I go, God, put your heart in me, your desires in me. You've already put your spirit in me. Let me live a life according to your word, which you so graciously have given the people of God. And so I think authority when I think all scriptures God breathe, and then I think hunger. How hungry are you for the word of God? And, and I don't mean like, oh, I just can't, I just love reading the Bible. I mean, when, when I, I was just, like I said, I was at a conference this weekend, so maybe I'm just like on a conference high and you're just going to Bernie Andrew for a little bit, but... I was listening to a guy named Jay, Jay Pathak, and uh, he is the head of the vineyard, so nationally and globally. And he said he was just in South Sudan, and he was preaching to a group of about 30 pastors. Uh, and somewhere in the middle of that group, uh, the main guy just kept doing this. And Jay's like, what does that mean? 
and, he's, and he, so he gets to the end of his 45-minute talk, which is about how long I talk. And the pastor's like, come here. I want you to preach, Jay, the whole Bible. He's like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? The whole Bible? He's like, no, I want you to start in Genesis, and I want you to preach until you're done. And so Jay, being an American like me, was like, what do you mean when I'm done? The pastor looked at him. It's two in the afternoon in blazing hot Africa. They're under a shaded alcove. He goes, it's two. I want you to finish at 10. Jay said he preached from two in the afternoon till 10 at night, and not a single person moved. How hungry are you? Because if you want to know what hunger for the word of God and the things of God looks like, I'm, this is not mean, you do not look at the American church. You look at the Chinese church. You look at the African church. You look at our brothers and sisters in other countries, and you go, you want to know what it looks like to put a Bible in the middle. They'd have one Bible in a Chinese church, and I put it in the middle, and we all gathered around it. We devoured it because we were like, this is the very word of God, and I want it. So what happened to us? What happened to me? I have 17 Bibles in my house. How many do you have? I've joked about it. We were like, I got my coffee table Bible with the cute little cover. I got my bathroom Bible. I got my hip holster Bible. I mean, I got my car. I have a car Bible. Anybody else? Right? But do we read it? Does it consume us? Is it coming out of us? Is it transforming us? And some of that has to do with hunger, and some of that has to do with the culture, and Satan himself is convinced that this is less than what it is. This is the word of God, and it is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and growing the man or woman of God into righteousness that the glory and the kingdom of God might come out in all the good works that God wants to do. How hungry are you? Francis Chan, everybody know that name? He spent some time in the Chinese underground church, and he was there. And so what they do is they gather in little cells, so 20, 30 people, and those people pray, man. Like, if you came to prayer and I was like, we're going to have a Chinese church prayer meeting, we'd be here nine hours. And half of you would leave, and you'd be like, ah, right? Francis Chan was talking to them, and they were like, all right, Francis, how long do your services last back home? And this is not a fight to have long services. I like a long service. I'm okay with a short one. And he's like, well, you know, about an hour, hour and a half. Like, how long do you preach? About 30 minutes. And how long do you pray? Well, we, we may pray a couple times during service. And he said, in the most loving way, the Chinese Christians laughed at him. And they were like, where do they go? Why would they leave? And he's like, well, you know, they, they have to eat and they got to get, like, watch a football game. And they, it blew the Chinese Christians' minds that the people of God would gather and then so quickly separate. He's like, well, what about you guys? Well, they're like, well, those people there traveled 30 miles by foot, and those people there just sold their last belongings so they could be here, and those people there just got beat last week, but they can't wait to go back to prison and preach some more. So how hungry are we and how willing are we to submit ourselves to what the book says? Because the book actually is closer to that. Did you know that? The, the book, and I, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me, um, says that if you belong to Christ, you'll be persecuted by Christ. But I don't feel that some days. And I think the disconnect is, is because I'm not actually doing everything it's telling me to do, and if I did, the world would hate me. Do you see how real this gets? I just suck the air out of the room. If you live this book, the world will hate you because you will be living for another world. If you live this book, you will see the kingdom and glory and power of God. And now you can memorize the book and not live it. And this is my personal testimony comes in. Um, I spent the first, mm, I'm 16 years in the ministry. First 13 years spending about two hours a day quietly reading with a commentary breaking down Greek verbs. I know a lot of the book. And then there was a moment that I met the person that spoke it. And it changed how I read it forever. So I'm not actually proposing that you just blindly read this. I want you, I want you to let it do what it's actually created to do. It's created to lead you to the one that spoke every word of it. 
It's created to create a longing that you might see the Son of God right here, right now, know him. And if you don't believe me, go to John 1. This will be my last thing, and then... Does anyone know when this service is supposed to stop? Like, um, that's an honest question. I, don't, I really don't know. What'd you say? Is, is it really? No, it's not. Shut your mouth. Is it 10.30? Dang it, it is 10.30. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, cool. All right, John 1. So we talk about all Scripture is breathed out, and when I think Scripture, I think down the written verses of the Word, Old Testament, New Testament, but then you get into this idea in the Bible in John 1 that is radically different than that. In the beginning was the... Who is that? What is that? Thank you, you're in church, just say Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. So John, the one that Jesus loved, the beloved disciple, I love that title of his own, he gave it to himself. He says, in the beginning, Genesis 1, was the word was the living word of God, the of God, the breath, the ruh of God. That's Hebrew for breath, literally. And in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. All scriptures breathed out by God that you might meet the word of God who is Jesus Christ, the incarnate son, that you might walk through the rest of your life with him, that you might not just know the scripture, you might know the word, the living word, the one who was born on your behalf and rose from the dead and secured your salvation so that when the new Jerusalem comes, you're not afraid. You're like, I'm his. What will you do with the word? Some of you, you're going to have to change your behavior. Some of you, I, I've had seasons where, man, I'll just listen to Scripture over and over and over again. And it doesn't feel like it's doing a lot. And then I'll get in a fight with somebody, and all of a sudden, Scripture's coming out of my mouth. And I'm like, it's doing something. It's doing something. Other times, Satan's besieging me, and I'm literally just taking it out and be like, Jesus, this is what your word says. You got to stop. We're going to do work right now. Other times, it's just a constant washing my heart, like picture just taking dirty laundry, dunking it in the water of the word and cleansing it. Renewing our minds, thinking on the things of God. This is all what the word does. So what, what are you supposed to do? 2 Timothy 2.15. I really should have planned this sermon shorter. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That is on the wall at the school that I went to. It's, on, it's like engraved in granite. Do your best. Did you hear that? I'm gonna say this to you because it's a lot of peace in it. Do your best. Not my best, not Mike's best, your best. Do your best to present yourself, which is an act of humility and sacrifice. God, I'm gonna give you my best right now where I'm at in my life to present my life as a worker for you. And so for the next couple years, some of you, all God wants you to do is sit quietly with him in the morning and learn his voice, learn his ways, learn his word, let it change you. He might have something great for you, but don't think great, he's the best thing you got. Sit with him and present yourself to God as one approved. A worker, which everyone thinks the Bible when we read it should just be like, ease. What's the word work mean? If you're a worker, what's it take? Work. Actual labor. Actual, I got to grit my teeth and I got to study that word. And when he says women be silent, what's he actually mean, work? Or I can shrug my shoulder like the rest of culture and go, obviously, God didn't know what he was talking about. Do the work and don't, so that you don't need to be ashamed. And when people ask you, you correctly handle this. You know how to handle this. 
So I want to pray, and then I'm just going to dismiss you because it's my fault. We were going to have worship. I think we can still have. No? Dave said, Dave said no. Okay. I just, yeah, clocks. I hate clocks. Okay. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you that you are the living word that all scripture brings us to. And that this week, God, by your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, a hunger would arise in this body to consume and live your word. We gladly, right now, we submit our lives to you afresh. You are the authority over us. And I ask, Father, that we would hunger for your presence. We would hunger for your word. We would hunger for your power. We would hunger for your kingdom like never before, like our brothers and sisters in Africa, like our brothers and sisters in China, like our brothers and sisters all over the world, that American church, and Cobblestone would be one of them, that hungers to live out and see the word brought forth. Bless my brothers and sisters in this room. I thank you that you're not mad at any of them. There's not shame for anybody. There's an invitation to come and be taught by the word. Thank you for this body. It's yours. Right now, would you put your hand upon them? Holy Spirit, fill them afresh. And as we go out, I ask for holy opportunities to share our faith, to lay hands and ask for healing, to see your kingdom come because you're making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Thanks for bearing with me. You guys are great. Uh, I'm gonna invite some prayer counselors up. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.